center four. The shadow that you seen was bipedal and it almost looked like a like a giant canine. It didn't have any, you know, human features to it. Seven to eight feet tall, very broad shouldered, and it had this it had this canine looking head to it. I remember it was a dog like creature. To this day, I can distinctly remember hearing the footsteps, bipedal footsteps in the gravel, and it was shuffling. This thing emerges from the corn, and it was about six feet tall. It had the head of a dog, high-pointed ears. Its shoulders were, were rolled, and its arms were long. And I remember it just turned its head like this and looked at me. I've faced predators, most of your big game predators that you have in the States. These things don't act like that. You look in these things' eyes, these things look like they're trying to figure you out. They look like they're looking through you, trying to figure out what your next move is, so they can get around it. I've been around predators my whole life, and I've never seen anything in my life act like that.
So the history of werewolf and dogman sightings is, is ancient. We have to look at the uh, Greek myths first uh, to come up with the word lycanthropy. And from that time on, we have now had part of our vernacular, the word lycanthrope. And the Greeks were very aware that werewolves existed. So when we look at the word werewolf as well, you know, the word were, W-E-R, comes from the Middle Ages, and it simply means man. So you have a, a man wolf. We see also, even in the Viking culture, you know, a, a, a few thousand years later, two thousand years later, whenever they would dress in the furs of particular animals in which they wanted to emulate. The name berserker uh, comes from those that wore bear hides, but also there were the Vikings that wore the furs of a wolf, and they were called the drinkers of blood because they believed that they were able to assume that animal's form, that animal's ferocity in battle. Sightings historically, I think, are often amalgamated with Bigfoot sightings, unfortunately, because we didn't really have the differential type of uh, comparison and contrast with the dogmen. I think just up until recently, people are seeing what they call dogmen or werewolf more uh, because now we have that as part of our language. But I think a lot of times when people were talking about being confronted by uh, Bigfoot or encountering a Bigfoot that was acting aggressively, a lot of those reports that I'm looking at I'm now thinking are more in the realm of the dogman werewolf sightings than a typical Bigfoot sighting. It's always seemed like dogman is a bit aggressive in nature because you hear so many stories of people that see it and it chases them out of an area or it bites them. There are multiple sightings up from here in the region where people just see it running across the trail or it doesn't chase them, you know, they'll, they'll just see it. It's like every encounter you hear that they're described just a little bit different. People say, it looked like the werewolf from the movie Silver Bullet. Or you'll hear somebody say, well, uh, the legs and the arms looked like a canine, but it stood up on two legs. It kind of had a, a coyote head, but it was much larger. So it, it's, a, it's a little strange in that way. You hear a lot of different types. They all seem to differ in some little manner. So anywhere in the Midwest, I mean, it just makes perfect sense. And there's, there's a lot of cover. I mean, there's still, uh, in the Midwest and Central America, there's, or North America, there's a lot of wide open spaces and a lot of woods and a lot of places where a single person jogging down a road, it looks like a tasty, tasty meal. If that's, if that's what their intent is, or if their intent is just stay away from where we're guarding. We don't want you, you know, we don't want you messing with what, what we're protecting. Bucyrus, as I understand, was founded in uh, 1821. Uh, it was given the name Bucyrus by Colonel James Kilborn. I don't know what his interest was in Bucyrus, but we're forever cursed with a name that nobody can pronounce. Yeah, it's been around a long time. Grew up here, yep, north of town, out in the country. It was a quiet existence growing up, because, I mean, Bucyrus is a small town, but I grew up very rural, like nine miles outside of town. 
so you know we visited our grandparents in town and it was a nice middle america small town leave it to beaver could have been filmed you know on one of the streets uh, just a nice place to grow up people you know the, the the people here are pretty down to earth people you know we have uh, essentially a makeup of people who was born here and a lot of people that migrated uh, up from Kentucky. As a kid, you know, my, my grandparents would tell us stories about uh, a creature that, that they refer to as the Bobo. Bobo, the other thing I can figure Bobo was some sort of, some sort of, you know, bipedal, you know, hominid. And they also told us a story about a creature by the name of Raw Head and Bloody Bones, which I had no idea what that was, but I presumed it was some version of the boogeyman. And so years later, when you have the internet, I've actually looked it up. And uh, my grandmother on my mother's side came from the Tennessee area um, in North Carolina, in that mountainous area there. And it turns out that Raw Head and Bloody Bones date all the way back to 15th century England. And, you know, Immigrants came over and the stories came over and over the years, be careful going to the woods, the bobo will get you, raw head and bloody bones will get you, you know, things like that. My parents were no nonsense. Uh, my dad would have never even entertained the idea of a ghost or some sort of monster running around. It was a different time uh, growing up in the 70s. Uh, people, especially in rural America, that was nonsense to them. So, I mean, there's no other way to put it. And my probably my dad's solution would have been, hey, if there's a dog, a dog man or Bigfoot out there, we'll just shoot it. You know, werewolves were Lon Chaney Jr. on TV8, and that's my reference to, to werewolves, was, you know, the werewolf, Lon Chaney Jr. with the torn plaid shirt and the flat face and running around grabbing women and running off with them. My encounter happened way back in 1972 between Yellow Springs and Clifton. Started out as a, most likely a Friday night because I was allowed to be out on Friday nights. I was about 17 at the time. Out with a boyfriend and another couple. We had two different had two cars, two, two sets of us, and well, you know how kids are. We were out going to park. We uh, go down the road, and the bridge is totally out. There's just the barricade, so we turn around and make sure that both of the vehicles are facing out, so if the cops come along, you know, we were just leaving anyway, no big deal really, really dark. It was probably, it was cloudy, I don't know. There were no leaves on the trees, but it wasn't real cold, so it was a perfect night to be standing out and laughing. I was leaning on uh, the car with my boyfriend, nice muscle car back then. So I'm leaning, we're talking with the other couple who's leaning on their car. I don't know how long we've been there, maybe 15, 20 minutes. 
there was gravel on the berm of the road. And now remember, this is just one way in and one way out because the bridge is out. Well, there's gravel on the berm. There's a brush row next to a creek. And I see eyeshine, meaning an animal, up in the trees, or so I thought. I'd mention, I wonder if that's a possum or a raccoon or what's up there? And then something walked out and it wasn't a possum, it wasn't a raccoon, it was a, a creature. I have no idea at the time what it was, nor did anyone else. To this day, I can distinctly remember hearing the rustling of the gravel that's on the berm. And there's this dark creature. It wasn't huge, maybe five foot, five and a half foot, six to eight feet away from me when it was in the uh, weeds. It had its mouth closed. Its eyes were amber, almond, sort of almond shape. The ears were very, very close to the head. Point it straight up. But they weren't real long ears, but they were pointed straight up. My belief it was August of 1985. Um, at that time, there was a, a friend of the family who, and I was a high school athlete, and he had asked me if I wanted to get into a fitness program, a running program, to be in shape. I said, sure. So the plan was that I was going to go out and run five miles in the evening. I lived on State Route 4 North, 4381. At that time, really the only place for me to run was this little side road just south of my house called Temple Road. If my memory serves me correctly, I was gonna to try to get running at like eight o'clock. And then I procrastinated and this happened and that happened. And by the time I was actually ready to go run, it was dark. You know, I was a country boy you know, I, I was never afraid of the dark, so going out and running down a country road at night didn't bother me at all. I left my house, it was probably a little after nine, and it had just, had just gotten dark. But it was a very clear night. I mean, it was really clear, visibility was good. I start down Temple Road, and at that time, on the right-hand side, which would be the north side of the road, there was corn. On the left side, which would be the south side of Temple Road, it was all beans. And it stayed like that all the way for one mile. So I made it down the State Route 19, and I was on my way back. And as I approached Flickinger Road on the way back, which meant that I had one mile to go, I got this weird feeling. It's this kind of feeling that you know something's wrong, you know there's something's watching you. And I felt like it was coming from those woods, so I stopped. I don't know why I stopped, but I stopped and I looked into the woods and I didn't see anything. I, I, I didn't hear anything, I didn't see anything. As I was about to start running again, in the cornfield, I see the corn start moving. Whatever it was, it was really big because a lot of corn was moving. I mean, a lot of corn was moving. And then all of a sudden it stopped. And I thought, wow, that's strange. And so I said, well, I'm going to get out of here. So I take off running. And when I took off running, 
whatever was in the corn takes off running too. And that's what startled me really because that's not how deer behave. Deer get, you know, deer get scared or they get startled, they get surprised and they just take off running. But this thing started running with me. And when I say it started running with me, it was pacing me. It, and it kind of freaked me out. So I stopped. And when I stopped, it stopped. To this day, I think it would have had to have been at least three rows in. And so I remember stopping thinking, how does it know that I stopped? So I stood there, and as I stood there staring at the corn, I mean, not a single stalk moved. I mean, it was perfectly just still. Like this thing that was in the corn, like it was just perfectly still. And I don't know how long I stood there, but it spooked me. And not knowing what it was, I said, I said, I'm taking off. So, and when I took off, it takes off simultaneously and it's pacing me and I start running faster and it starts running faster. I realize this thing's stalking me, whatever, whatever's in the corn. I realize when I get to route four, I'm going to have to turn left to go home. And I'm just and, and it, assuming this thing stays in the corn, assuming it did. When I get to route four and I turn left to go home, I'm going to run right into it. I'm going to intersect with it. And one of my best friends who lived just down the road from me, he was to the right. So my thought is, okay, I'm not going to turn left and go home because I don't want this. I don't want to intersect with this thing. So I'm going to cut right. So I made up my mind. I was just going to stay on the road. And when I get to route four, I'm going to cut right. And I'm going to run to his house. So I realized that as I'm going to get there, there, I'm going to run out of corn. So whatever's in this corn is going to come out before I actually get to route four. So I told myself, don't look. And, and the reason why I said in my mind, don't look because I had no idea what it was. And, and part of me thought if I looked, I might freeze up. I'm coming to the end of the corn and I looked, I couldn't help myself. I, I could not help myself. As I'm running, I kind of turned my body like this, just kind of like side shuffle. And that's when I saw it. This thing emerges from the corn and it was about six feet tall because that's how tall the corn was. And it had the head of a dog, high pointed ears, and its shoulders were rolled like this, like it had like terrible posture, like a person with terrible posture. Its shoulders were, were rolled and its arms were long. And I remember it just turned its head like this and looked at me. I saw its head, I saw the ears. Could I tell you what color its fur was? No. It could have been real dark gray, it could have been black, it could have been dark brown. I can't tell you what color the fur was for sure. The interesting thing is when I saw it, I didn't immediately think werewolf. I just didn't because as we talked about, my frame of reference for what a werewolf was, was something I'd seen on TV8. It was a man with a flat face and it wore torn, tattered clothes. It did not look like what I saw. And the only frame of reference that I had was 
it looked just like the Egyptian god Anubis. That's the best way I could describe it. There was a, almost a crackling feeling. The hair on the back of my neck stood up, almost like a static, static electricity maybe. And I suppose that's the sixth sense saying it's time to leave. I don't know whose voice it was, and I hear, let's go now. I run around, and the creature, it didn't move like a human. Maybe it moved like a dog that's walking on its hind legs. It almost moved kangaroo-like, like the legs were bent the wrong way. That's sort of freakier than about anything, is to see something that your mind does not want to grasp, and it's on two legs. It kind of does a hop-skipping motion, uh, not very many feet. It followed me, which was no big deal. It was so close, it did its hop-skipping motion, and I could see it out of my periphery. And it followed me as I ran around. I managed to get into uh, my passenger side, and as he pulls off, because there was so much gravel, the gravel was spinning some, and it was running alongside of the car, looking at me, straight, you know, straight in the eye. It's really hard to explain unless you've ever had something that maybe can't be explained, you know, that's happened to you. I simply focused on the eyes and its movement because its movement was so unusual to me. I really can't say how many feet it followed, hopping along beside the car, but I sort of felt in danger. I, I wasn't terrified because nothing was going into my head the way it should. I, I guess that's what happens when you encounter something that you have no parameters for what it is. And when I saw it, I did kind of pause. I didn't freeze, but I did kind of pause. And I looked at it, like I said, there, there's weeds, wildflowers, and other stuff that runs right up to the corn. So all I could see was from like thigh down. So I don't know what its feet look like. I don't know what its knees look like or anything like that. But I saw its torso. But when it turned and looked at me, it just looked like it had this massive chest. So I take off across Route 4. So I'm, I'm, I'm gunning it as fast as I can. This thing has dropped all fours and is chasing me. As I'm getting closer to my buddy's house, I knew that they had an in-ground pool and they had a fence around, a chain link fence. But as I'm getting closer, I look and I see the gate shut. I was like, oh. And I know if this thing is following me, my only option is I'm just gonna have to jump the fence. So I jump and I throw my feet up, like in the air, like the old Fallsbury flop, high jump. And I put my hand on the top of the fence and it was scalloped, I remember this. It had those, you know, the scallops. And, and I pushed it down and when I did, and then it popped back up, it just slashed me right across my side. I land in a, like a stumbling motion and I just dive headfirst into the pool. And I'm blowing out my breath and I'm going down and I can feel, I can still feel it sliding out because the pool was 10 feet deep. And I'm sliding down 
I blow all the air out and I get to the bottom and I somehow pinch my nose and I look up and I'm fully expecting to see this thing with the rolled shoulders and the dog head and the big chest sitting on the side of the pool. But it seemed like a long time I was on the bottom of the pool and I'm looking up and I'm looking up and I don't see anything. So I'm like, oh, thank God. I climb up out of the pool and I run and I rip that door open as hard as I can. And my buddy was sitting there, he screams and I scream and I slam the door. And I remember screaming, turn the lights out, turn the lights out. And he has no idea what's going on. So we turn the lights out and I'm just looking out the windows. I'm looking out the windows thinking, is this thing out there? The next night, I played cards with guys on the basketball team, and I told them the story, but I did not tell them what I saw. I vividly remember um, the next night, we were at a friend's house. So we're all out in the garage, outside, playing cards. It was, uh, it was a bunch of us guys that went to high school together. And he's telling this story about outrunning and having something pacing him in the, in the cornfield. We, we were all teammates, and what teammates do is we give each other a bunch of crap. He probably already got enough crap from us as it was, so he didn't want to get any more. And, um, and you don't want to be called crazy, you know? But he did tell us the story, I remember the story, and he's asking, like, what do you guys think this, this was? And nobody had an answer. When I did the research, I found out that on Flickinger Road, that just down on Flickinger Road is at least two Indian burial grounds. So that made me start thinking in a, in a totally different way than what I'd always thought. For years, I had thought this is a flesh and blood creature, that it's wolf-like or dog-like, and no one seems to catch them because they're really fast, they're really smart, they're really stealthy. Now my mindset has switched to um, I think these are supernatural creatures. That's my opinion. I revisited where this happened about a year and a half ago. I hadn't been, I hadn't been back in those many, many years. I found out there's Indian mounds there, Adena Indians, which are very, were very common in this part of Ohio. I've read where your uh, dog man, for some reason, are found or seen frequently where there's Indian mounds. So I, I don't know. I, you know, I just, I don't know what to say to that. If you believe the aspect of a dogman, werewolf creature being more supernatural than natural, you can't hardly go any, anywhere here and not have a Native American settlement. It, it just lends itself to that angle of these creatures being, you know, the guardians of the Native American burial mounds or grounds. My name is Adam Davis, and uh, I've, after personal experiences initially with Dogman, I've been a researcher since about officially since about 2005. The my initial actual sighting was in 2005, back in October 19th, after we had initially started 
hearing about different howling, different howling reports and everything out around uh, the Germantown and Liberty, Ohio area. My girlfriend and I decided to go out to Anthony Road and and to see if we could find any tracks. And we, as we crossed the bridge, I was look, doing my usual thing, looking down at the sandbars, you know, to see if there was anything there. No, didn't see any tracks, because sometimes we would see tracks in the sandbars. And we got across the bridge, and it kind of takes a little turn and down, down a little downhill. And I tell her to stop because I see something black over on the right-hand side of the road. I was, you know, I was on the passenger side, so it was on my side. And I was, because I was looking in the mud and silt and everything to see if there was any tracks. I get out and I go over to it and I look at it and I realize it's an article of clothing. It was a pair of pants, a women's brand of pants in a petite size. And I pick them up and I'm looking at them and there's silt on the back of the pants from where they had lain in the lane against the dampness of the ground and they were slightly damp from the rain. And then I took them and turned them around and I realized that it was I realized that the front of the pants were just like totally shredded and matted with blood and it was not dried blood or anything it was just congealing I look across the road and I see red fabric so I mean at this point in time I'm just kind of I real I'm starting to put together what I'm seeing in you know as I'm looking at it I walk across the road and I find a sweater and a and a t-shirt that are still partially inside of each other I looked at, and I looked at it and there was blood there on the sweater but the the t-shirt was worse it was shredded and matted with blood and I called the police I got a hold of dispatch and told them what we found and this is what really kills me they laughed it off they said oh it's probably just someone's trash that that they left out there it's nothing don't worry about it so they told my girlfriend we're gonna go to the house we're gonna get a bag we're gonna come back for this because we didn't have anything to put it in it was maybe 10 minutes from there to the house and back we got back those clothes were gone they had taken a vehicle and driven over the places where those clothes were laying, where there was an imprint in the mud or any trace of blood because the, uh, the sweater and the T-shirt were laying in the, on the edge of the road in the, in the tall grass. In 2015, I wind up meeting up with this guy from Hamilton. He was telling us how he had been you know, looking at anomalous 
paint reports and everything where he was getting descriptions of oversized painted prints. He said he was basically going from house to house through the Germantown Dam area, you know, where there were where there's houses along the edge of the park. And he came to this one family that said that in 2000, April 2006, their daughter went out one morning to go out jogging like she usually would do. And she never came back. She went out jogging along Anthony Road and up around the backside of the dam. I just dropped my knees when I heard this. I mean, it was confirmation, but it was like the worst kind of confirmation. There was no question in my mind that, you know, that it was something, that it was a dogman that did that. Because, first of all, what would have happened, what would have happened to the body otherwise? The body was gone. The, the clothes were shredded. There's no bear out there. There's no cougars out there. There's no natural predators that would do that. And there's, from what I've you know, heard of other reports, there are reports of where they will, you know, essentially shred off the clothes off of a human in an attack. The LBL case is one of them. You've, from the uh, land between the lakes back in 82, that we, they said that the victims were pretty much disrobed of their clothes that were just shredded off. And I've heard of other reports where there were attacks, or at least alleged attacks. Uh, there is a great deal of fear inherent within these particular encounters. It is as if a very intelligent animal is evaluating you. I've heard reports of people seeing them, just watching them from the trees and making no other kind of movement. Um, I also have taken reports from people that have claimed that they've heard them coming up onto the porch and trying the doorknob or you know, even more uncanny, um, trying to call them outside. And these are the things that, that, that raise the hackles on the neck and goosebumps and everything else. But we are definitely dealing with not just an animal. We're dealing with something here that has a particular intelligence to it. Uh, but from all the encounters that, I, that I've taken notes on and the eyewitnesses that I've investigated and spoken with, um, it's never a pleasant encounter. You don't come out of this feeling enlivened in any way. Encounters with dogmen, encounters with these werewolf-type beings is something that um, is a stuff of nightmares. Again, people have asked me, what happens whenever you encounter these things? Well, we really don't know, do we? I mean, a lot of people go missing and are never heard from again. So it might have been an encounter with one of these creatures. Land Between the Lakes is the largest inland peninsula in America, and it wasn't always like that. It used to be a much smaller trickle of water coming through a little, couple of rivers. It used to be called Between the Rivers, and for whatever reason, they flooded the areas and made Lake Barkley and Lake Kentucky, and that caused the creation of 
Land Between the Lakes, you got that large inland peninsula in America. There are over 200 cemeteries in Land Between the Lakes, you know. It's got really a dark history because, you know, a lot of people's homes, when they were getting the area ready, they ran them out of their homes, the government threatened them in one way or another. There is a, a lot of dark history with this land, and I, I believe there's even a lot of cemeteries that are underwater now. You can still go across the land and find people's old homesteads where you can see the evidence where they, they took over the area by, I reckon, eminent domain. Since the 1700s, before they flooded everything, French explorers were coming through the regions and they would report that there were loup-garous in the region. Basically a French werewolf, you know, they were very superstitious about that kind of thing back then. So they probably thought, there are werewolves in this area. Of all the, the Native American history here, I, d I don't know of all the tribes that were here, but there is a legend of the Shawnee tribes that there was a Shawnee medicine man in the region who was a skinwalker, and they blamed him for some of the werewolf uh, incidents, so something to, of that nature. What is so interesting about this particular area is this was the area for the uh, Woodland Indians. There was a wolf cult part of that culture at one time, uh, maybe as early as 1300. There's instances of mounds being uncovered where the entombed person was made to appear as if it were uh, an amalgamation of man and wolf. One particular tomb had the body wrapped in furs and the jaw was actually dislocated and some of the teeth were removed in order to place a wolf snout over it. What was going on in this area is really kind of strange whenever you talk about this, this assuming of man and wolf at the same time because these mounds in which this culture was a part of is very near to Defiance, Ohio, very near to Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and also very close to the area of land between the lakes as well. It's always seemed like Dogman is a bit aggressive in nature because you hear so many stories of people that see it and it chases them out of an area, uh, but there are multiple sightings up from here in the region where people just see it running across the trail or it, it doesn't chase them, you know, they'll, they'll just see it. It seems to be there's a, a physical creature of some kind, you know, uh, we find footprints in the region, uh, a gentleman seen a mother dog man and pups run across the road, so there seems to be some kind of biological animal in the region. Everything that we can find, you know, you have families that are physically attacked and people that come up missing, people supposedly eaten upon. It's alive, it's aggressive, it needs to eat. We had just moved, uh, I was married at the time, and uh, my now ex-wife, um, we had moved into this little trailer out in the country. We were freshly married, uh, engaged, getting ready to get married at the time. We got married right as we moved in, so it was our first our first place together. Moved in, it was peaceful and affordable, and we were young and, and poor and didn't have a lot of money then, so it, it was in our budget. And we had never, never had, any inkling going in there, there was none of that feeling when we were looking at the place. So, I mean, there, there was a lot of history through that area. There was, you know, there was 
there was slavery there. There was Union occupation. Um, you know, there was there was deaths in the area, and it was very old. And it it was Native American land at one point in time too. And we were uh, we were settled in, and I'm guessing within like a month, things started to get different. You had uh, during the day it was very peaceful and serene, very rural uh, country setting. At night, from the time the sun went down from dusk until about 4 a.m., there was just this different vibe. And uh, we would uh, feel this different. You would just walk outside and it would just initiate this extreme instant fight or flight response. Uh, mostly flight, You'd, there was no fight in it. You just, you didn't want to be out there. Then we would go into this, start hearing noises and scratches outside the house. Um, you would see from the old cemetery in Homestead, which was next to where we lived, uh, we started seeing red glowing eyes, and they would be seven to eight feet in the air. And the shadow that you seen was bipedal, and it almost looked like a like a giant canine. It didn't have any, you know, human features to it. And seven to eight feet tall, very broad-shouldered, and it had this it had this canine looking head to it. It didn't, you know, it just, it looked like a giant dog. And uh, the very first time that I, that I heard, heard anything, um, we had gone, gone grocery shopping on Friday night, gone out to eat, come home, put everything away, went to bed and we were laying in bed and these, this breaking of claws was going on right outside side the side of the house in the bedroom. I just flat refused to go out. We just wrote it out and let it go. And we went out the next morning and and the from the area you could hear the noise from was probably, you know, seven to eight feet up off the ground. And and there were no claw marks or anything, but we heard definite raking of claws the whole night long. And then shortly after that, uh, we were we were in the kitchen and, and noticed the glowing eyes in the woods. And then we stepped out on the front to look and, and you could just see it sitting there watching and just observing us. And, and it would just do that every once in a while. The, the, most, the most common thing that it did all the time was this, this energy that it put off. It just inundated your senses with instant fight or flight. And, and you could tell when the sun went down to about 4 a.m. You just dealt with that. And if you went outside the house, it, it, it just overwhelmed you. It was very, it was the most intense thing I've ever experienced in my life. It would be, it didn't do this every night. It would, it would be gone for a few days and then it would come back. And I don't know if we were just on part of its route and that whole area was its territory. Um, but every time we saw the eyes, it was always in the old homestead at that old family cemetery is where it always was. My now ex-wife, then she would see things and I traveled for work, which I mostly do, and she had things happen while I was at, I was at work and it was to the point where she was like, we have to move, I, I can't do this anymore. So that's when we decided to go. The, it was ex extremely peaceful. Other than that, we, we didn't have anything. And that was the only issues we had the whole time we were there. But I mean, we lived there six months and it made us leave. It was very odd. It was almost like it had this 
ability to where it was kind of real and then kind of spiritual. Like it, it had some some physical attributes to it, but the rest of it seemed very, very supernatural and, and, and paranormal. I was 18 when I had my first encounter. I was in the Bell City Swamp. I couldn't, I used to come home a lot. Every given night available, I was out in the woods and I'd heard about something in the woods. 18 stupid, I wasn't scared much. Took my dogs out. We were having a good night. We killed five coons, I think, that night. We treated a bobcat, just got off it. Went deeper about one in the morning. I should have known. We didn't hear deer, we didn't see deer, we didn't hear crickets. That's all signs of big predators in the area, I should have known. I had two dogs come back out of three, and when I say two come back, they hauled past me and didn't slow down. And these are trained coon dogs, trained and stop. I was worried because the one that was missing was worth about $1,500, and she was my prized dog. So I went in looking. A smell hit me. I've been around dead animals. I've been around carcasses. I know what they smell like. It smelled like rotted meat and wet dog. And the growl that come out of this, this animal hit me in my bones. It just, you won't forget it if you ever hear it, trust me. I had light attached to my hat. When I flung it around, I hit something in the eyes that was standing seven and a half foot off the ground at the eyes. Black fur, head like a wolf, pointed ears on top. I didn't know what I was looking at. Here I am with a double barrel 20 gauge. I'm outgunned, I know it. I eased away backwards trying to get away from it. And it stepped off, like it didn't want to be in the light. I tried to keep my light on it, and it was gone. I've never seen anything move that quick. I mean, it was there and it was gone. I took off for the truck, and when I got back, the truck was facing the woods. My dogs were in the back. They beat me to the truck. When I turned the headlights on to turn the truck around, it was standing in the edge like it had followed me out to make sure I left. I've been around enough animals to know if it's got claws and it's got teeth shaped like that, it, it don't eat plants. It's got big canine teeth and it's got big sharp claws, it, it don't go around munching on blackberries. My blue tick coon hound, all we found of her was a buddy collar. And it was cut in three places and it was a solid leather strap. Two years ago, the last encounter I had and the one that literally made me sell my dogs and quit coon hunting was Dad called me, I want you to train a couple pups. No problem, I've done it all my life. Done. Okay. Bring them over. We'll go running. I'll run them tonight. We started out. I had old black and tan and old uh, 
red bone. And dad had these two little pups. Dad didn't want to go that night. I said, that's fine, I'll take them. Started out great. I mean, Bella hit my black and tan. She hit a trail. I mean, just, we're off. Little pups trailing, having a ball. Little, the little bitty old red bone daddy had drug up a section of horse jaw, I'm guessing six to eight inches. Had teeth in it. I thought that was kind of funny. We ain't been over no fence. You know, poked up off that way again, so I followed him. I come up on, I think it was a whole skeleton. The bones were some chewed up and mutilated. I could make out a skull, the pelvis, some ribs, and the fingers. And the skull was in about 33, 34 pieces. That put me on alert, but predators tear up bones. No big deal. Coyotes chew them up. Squirrels chew them. Calcium. Pups wouldn't listen. I wanted to go back. I was about tired for the night anyways. They didn't want to quit. My big dog was still on the trail. She wouldn't cut off. So I had to go in a little in, in farther. And the farther I went, the more bones I found. And I come up on the pups, and they were just laying on the ground. Flat, just whimpering, wouldn't move. Bella was between me and something in front of me. Growling, bristled up, snarling, acting like I've never seen her act. The growl that I heard that night, it was like you could feel it. It was one of those that came from its gut. I was 15 yards from it. It was massive. I was close enough when he could, when he'd sniff, you could see his nose wrinkle up. That's way too close. Way too close. I've always been told like most kids in Southern areas, be careful there's panthers in the woods and I mean, this is Western Kentucky. We don't have bear, but every now and then it's because they wander up out of Tennessee, but I've faced predators. Most of your big game predators that you have in the States. These things don't act like that. You look in these things' eyes, these things look like they're trying to figure you out. They look like they're looking through you, trying to figure out what your next move is so they can get around it. I've been around predators my whole life and I've never seen anything in my life act like that. I've never seen anything look like it had enough consciousness to know what you might do. I think that scares me as much as seeing them. This one wasn't scared. This one wasn't curious. This one did not want me there. He roared come up closer. When I couldn't run, I carry a double barrel 410 or double barrel 20 gauge. A double barrel 410. Double hammered old gun. And a 357 pistol. The fact that my coon dog never moved didn't even phase this animal. She might as well have been a pissant crawling on the ground. It walked. 
in a semicircle around me like a predatory move would. At this point, I pretty much know. Game over. I'm done. It got three quarter of the way around me and the loudest, deepest howl I've ever heard would come from deeper in the swamp. His ears perked up and it was like I didn't even, like I wasn't even there at that point. He howled back, acknowledged me by roaring at me so loud, I ain't even gonna lie. I pissed my pants that night. Scared me so bad. So I just threw the shotgun up. Thought, well, at least I might get blood. And when I threw the barrels up, he cleared the bushes behind him that were probably six, seven foot, and was gone. Went towards the house. I come home that night, I sold 17 dogs the next morning. I sold all my gear except my coon hunting light. And the only time I go out now in the dark if I'm hunting is if I'm around ponds and hunting frogs. I do not go near that swamp at night. I'll go during the day, but I will not go at night. The reason I've wanted to stay anonymous is I've had people tell me I'm crazy. I've had people tell me I'm drinking too much, doing drugs, lying. No, they're real. Science might not have found them, but don't mean nothing. They stay hid for a reason. My name is Martin Groves. I had an incident in the 1990s spring turkey season that kind of connected me to the area. I'm a retired police officer of 32 years. I've been with a local rural sheriff's department, of which I have now since retired. Um, but I was with the department for many years and a uniformed patrol officer. Coming from a, 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 a police background, uh, it's gonna ruffle a lot, of, a lot of feathers. The only reason why I've even come forward at this point is one, I have retired, and I don't really care what people think of me or what will be said. I feel like there is something within that park, animal or beast, that is a danger to the public. I was told that this would be very detrimental to any tourism and to anything that, any public reports coming out that there was any kind of animals eating people or attacking people within the park. And there has been a long time standing uh, unwritten rule that they control the reports that come outside the, the parcel because of this reason. In the 70s, there was a group of kids that disappeared up there in Land Between the Lakes. They heard a bunch of screaming, and when the other group came up to them, they disappeared, never to be seen again. 1979, there was over around Willow Bay to Mumbers Bay area, there was a gentleman, he worked Kentucky fishing game. He said that he witnessed a dog man jump on a couple that was camping there along the shoreline, held them down with its hands and biting plugs out of them. And they were able to confirm his employment through the state and whatnot. Uh, you got the famed 
1982 attack of the family that was slaughtered, very terrible. There's multiple variations of the story, but largely they've retained the same way. So that story boiled down to its most basic form is a family of four came down to Lamb Between the Lakes. They were either in a travel trailer or an RV, and they came down to do some camping up at the northern end of Lamb Between the Lakes. While they were, I guess, getting set up and everything ready, a dog man came up and literally slaughtered the family. Just dispatched them in a grisly manner. People came back through, cops, uh, the government in some form, hikers, and they found the family dead. They found three bodies, but they couldn't find the little girl anywhere. There's a little girl along with them. And they eventually found her either up in the top of a tree or somewhere about 100 feet away from the RV. There's a little bit of contention on that. It's become a famous story of the region now, almost teetering on urban legend. And you can even find evidence that it happened because the spot where it allegedly took place, you can find where the light poles are cut even to the ground. You can find the old RV slips. You can find the old foundations for the bathhouses. Something seemed to have taken place there. You can find the old, the boundary stakes. It, it really looks like something happened and then some government crew or the park came in, tore it all up and let nature retake itself. Uh, you, you can tell that for one some reason they wanted to do away with this area. And that, that, that's the most famous story from up there. The next famous would probably be there was a bow hunter up there whose body was found dead. And uh, I haven't found them yet, but supposedly there are documents showing he was found in the park. He was dead. It was all factual. When they found his body in a soybean field over around where we camp a lot, Dark Hollow, his body was fed upon. I'm going to be very respectful because of the family that uh, suffered a loss. A hunter was killed and was mauled to death by the official report says it was a unknown animal, unknown species. The reports that I have read and, and what I have been told is that the animal was either a cougar or a bear that had ripped the man out of his tent and had consumed him and pulled his body three to 400 yards away from the tent. It is my belief that I actually had met this man the day before while I was out and was scouting. And I do not know if it was or not. I do know that the man that I met was in the same immediate area and I observed his pickup truck. And there's just too many indications to me that I believe that the man that I met is the same man that was pulled out of his tent and eaten. One of the common things when you're researching dogmen, and, and it's strange, toward the northern end of the parks where they're at, you'll find dogman activity, but to the southern end, you'll find Bigfoot activity. Dogman in the north, Bigfoot in the south. So it does seem in some ways there is a, a territorial aspect to it. I don't know, it could be hungry, aggressive predator, it could be territory. Uh, there's a lot of factors that could be at play. In the uh, spring of, I believe it was 1993, 94, a hunting partner and myself, a friend that I actually worked at the sheriff's office with, had decided to take a trip into Land Between the Lakes for turkey hunting. The first night we came in, we had absolutely no problems whatsoever. 
The next day, we both got up and decided to uh, take a small uh, excursion uh, searching for birds, and we went our separate ways. We had a, a very nice game trail to follow, and I followed for miles throughout the entire day. At this point, uh, in the late afternoon, I had a, uh, a feeling that I was being followed inside the woods. Behind me, I could hear movement and I could feel uh, a presence that I did not know if it was animal or if it was man. Being an avid hunter, uh, I was very observant. Two to 300 yards behind me, on the trail behind me, I could see movement in the woods. I continued through the woods for some time and followed the game trail, edging my way back to my camp when uh, I did actually catch movement in the woods and I could see that there was two or possibly three animals that was tailing me. But when I would stop, the movement would stop in the woods. I continued on and as I become closer to my camp, I could hear uh, a distinct knock in the woods and it would, it would be a, a large boom like someone had taken an ax or something up against a tree. So at that point, I believed it was my hunting partner and I was getting closer to camp. As I got closer to camp is when I first observed what I believed to be a man in a ghillie suit. So I just wrote it off at, you know, I'm, in a, I'm on a hot trail. I just need to get back to camp. Somebody is watching me to the west of me and then somebody's coming in on the game trail behind me that is animal. Something was, was just tagging me. I finally did make it back to camp. The closer I began getting to my camp, I heard whistles. I could hear a whistle of, that was human-like, that was a shrill whistle. I attributed a lot of these things to, this is my hunting partner back in camp He's knocking something, he's whistling, trying to get me to come in. So I came into camp. And immediately when I come into camp, my friend that I had known for many years, I could tell was very shook. There was something not right with my hunting partner. And I said, look, I'm sorry I've been gone. He said, it's not that. I was a little bit worried about you, but there's something around the camp. That's when he broke down and told me, he said, I've been hearing whistles and there is something hitting a tree or there is maybe rocks being clampered against the ground. He did not know either. We settled in and we talked around the campfire. It had gotten dark at this point. When it gets dark at land between the lakes, it is dark. There's no car lights, there's no street lights. It is as if you were in the 17 or 1800s. We felt like we were being pressured to get out of the camp and this is when the activity began. All that was illuminated was our campfire and our kerosene lamp. So we had a period, uh, a distance of 15 to 20 feet at maximum around the camp that would be illuminated and then we would see shadows. And I noticed 
what I believe to be a man behind a tree. It looked as if a person was standing behind the tree, a very large tree. At that point, we were locked in. We were not gonna be made to move by anything or anybody. This was our camp. We're staying and we're gonna hunt here. A small limb or tree, piece of a tree, come flying off the top of the cliff that was raised above us, then a rock came. And when the rock comes so close to in between us, we were standing within five to 10 foot of each other. We started getting scared. At one point, Harry told me that maybe we should get our firearms. And um, so he set his shotgun closer to him. My shotgun was laying on the ground, but I had a sidearm on me. So I kind of felt confident. You have to imagine the darkness and how dark that it was and how limited the vision was for us. We began to get a growl from where the person or persons were standing. The growl was so intense that it vibrated in my chest and within my partner's chest. It was like a vibration. It was not like a growl I had ever heard in my life from, uh, I've been around bears, I've been around pigs, uh, charging boars. I've been around all different kinds of animals. This was a growl like I had never heard. All of my life, I've been trained not to be afraid. I've been trained to attack anything that comes into vision if you perceive it to be a danger. I could not do anything. It's just, it's, it was as if I was a child and I was five years old and I was scared of a monster in the dark. And, and I noticed that my partner was totally frozen. He was not moving. He was breathing fast. Um, at one point I seen his shoulder slump and he was not feeling well. All time had frozen. Everything had just, like it had become still. And it, it was just a low intense feeling that I, I had. Out of the left side of my peripheral vision, I saw movement. At this point, I made a physical move and once I took a step, I felt like I could, I just gained like my freedom. And I pulled my firearm. I turned my shoulders to face the object that, that I caught in my peripheral vision. I faced, I looked forward and I could see what I knew was not a man. I knew that it was not an animal I had ever seen and it was coming towards me. In the glow of the campfire, in the glow of my kerosene lamp, I caught what I felt was an upright walking, it was not bare, it, it was like a wolf. It was large, it was huge, it was still walking towards me. I've discharged my weapon in its direction two times. You have to imagine when you fire a gun at nighttime that you have an effect of almost like a camera going off. 
and that camera instills something in your brain. So I have this image instilled in my head of when the flash went out and the animal, it was like it responded to the firearm. It was intelligent. It knew that that firearm was dangerous to it because it reacted, it moved, and it went backwards before I fired. It is as if it could jump and leap beyond any human understanding. It, it jumped to the rock face that was beside of it, and in an instant, was it was gone. It disappeared and went over the ridge above us. That when I fired my weapon, my hunting partner behind me discharged his firearm in the opposite direction of me. I'm screaming at this point. I'm screaming, I don't even know what I'm saying, but it's, it's time to back up to the truck where we were parked. And I began to cover above me, I covered to the left of me, and he's walking, and we're walking behind us. As we get to the truck, I jump up into the back end of the pickup truck. He gets in, cranks the vehicle. I'm standing in the back of the pickup truck. The lights flow towards a field that was in front of us. Directly in front of me were two huge figures, creatures. I believe that what was stalking me in the woods, I believe that whatever I fired at to the left of my camp was what people refer to as a dog man. But I know what was in the headlights of that truck was not the same creature because it towered at least another two or three foot taller than the animals that I had seen in my camp. These were two very large creatures and I realized that one of them was the exact thing that I had seen in the distance that I believed to be a man in a ghillie suit and it was not a man in a ghillie suit. It was not a bear. It was on two legs, bipedal. That's what I believe was whistling the entire time that I had heard in the woods. That's what my partner had heard whistling. Were the two, two figures that I observed in the field in front of me, were they working with the other animals? I just say the words, were they working with the dog man? Were they guiding the dog man? Or were there were the two large creatures there to protect me? I do not know. My partner fires up the pickup truck and we speed out of the area. As I turn around behind me, something was tearing my our camp completely to pieces. Uh, there are Bigfoot stories from the region. There's supposedly a large, aggressive Bigfoot inland between the lakes. It just goes wherever it wants. They've nicknamed it Stonefoot. And we even have found Bigfoot tracks up toward the north, close to around the site where the family was attacked. So, so they are in the park. We stopped and we attempted to report what took place with us. And we were told that we had overreacted, that we had observed what they said was a rogue bear. There are things that I will not say on camera, people that I've spoken with over the years. You have to understand that the law enforcement field is a tight brethren. 
there is a unwritten rule that you will not talk of anything coming out of the park. I mean, these guys have pensions, these guys have family. Can you imagine working for somewhere for 20 or 30 years and you're called into the office and you're told that due to the fact you spoke in public about an incident that took place that you're fired? I believe it's entirely possible that they cover stuff like that. They'd lose a lot of money if people learned that there was something that looked like a werewolf wandering through the park or possibly even Bigfoot, they'd lose a lot of money. So if one person disappears or a few people, wouldn't it be, for, for them, wouldn't it be the most profitable decision to just cover it up and make it look like something never happened? At this point, there are many people that have went missing or have come up, they've been found dead within the park. And this is a phenomenon that's not contained to land between the lakes. This has taken place in a lot of our national parks. It's a very scary thought that the general public is, to a, to a certain extent, the general public is unarmed when they enter these parks, unable to defend themselves against anything, man or beast. From all the encounters that I've, I've talked to people with, it's just not simply encountering an animal out there. There are earth lights often attached to these sightings. There are feelings of dread associated with this. In my opinion, what we were dealing with here is not a human simply shape-shifting into, into an animal or some sort of uncatalogued creature that is roaming the wilds of America that is yet to be categorized by science. I think there is something here that is far beyond our knowledge. It appears as if these creatures are coming from another source and they bleed into our world or we bleed into their world or what have you. There almost has to be an unspoken agreement uh, between the person that is witnessing these creatures and the creatures themselves. It seems that there is some sort of exchange of energy going on. And for these things to manifest themselves, they would need your energy to feed off, to make almost a circuit in which everything is fired up and then these things can then appear and manifest within our reality. It bothered me for years. I'm not saying that I had post-traumatic stress. I'm not saying that. But I know that every time I walked out of my house at night, I was always had this fear of what's lurking behind the house, what could be under the car, what could be behind that bush. Because in, in the back of my mind, it's always there. It could be there. And the other thing that really kind of stuck out to me was, as I sat back and I reflected, was if that thing's real, what the hell else is real? I didn't let it control my life. And as a matter of fact, I kind of swept it into the into the back recesses of my mind. And now and again, it would come up. I get the pinpricks in the back of my neck and I think I'm just too much imagination. I hid this from myself. I, I, would, I rarely told anyone because shoot, you tell someone and yeah, they're condescending at the best or just laugh or think you're joking. And now at this age, I don't care whether you believe me or not. It doesn't matter. It happened. The only thing I could literally tell people I saw was a werewolf, which probably didn't help the fact that people thought I was crazy. 
And like I've told her every time I've talked about it to anybody, the nightmares come back. I've woke up screaming in the night. My wife shook, shook me. It scares me to my core to know that these things are still out there moving and walking around. These things are built to hurt something. Trust me, you don't want to see one. I have nightmares. I'm plagued with dreams. At one point, I'd spoke with a professional that said that I had, I had seen something that had traumatized my memory. I couldn't accept what I had saw. That trauma of whatever that I had occur occurred that night and the incident that I had seen, that it will haunt me. It will be in my dreams. Uh, they told me to attempt to work it out. I will not, not hunt in the deep woods any longer. I've been to different states. I've hunted in Montana. Uh, I've hunted in Wyoming. Um, I have fished where I've had grizzly bears within 20 to 30 yards of me when I'm fly fishing. They don't scare me. That scares me. What I saw that night was such an intense feeling and an evil, a feeling of evil that, that cannot be described. <laughs>